Well, welcome everybody. Um, we're going to have a conversation about race and faith in America. And uh, really, this is a conversation primarily between me and Lakeith, not just because we're streaming it, but because we thought that might be a good way to, to begin this larger conversation within our community and others who might come across this video. Um, and at the end, we'll, we will have some time for, for question and answer, but primarily uh, Lakeith and I are going to be processing just our own thoughts about race and faith and what's been going on in our country over the past uh, several months in particular, but probably even reaching back um, a few years with some other, some other stories that we're going to touch on. And we're going to share what God has been teaching us. And hopefully in the course of that conversation, you know, things come out that are also valuable to you, helpful to you, mm -hmm. but we're not really having this conversation to, to give answers. That's not really the goal, even though I do think that there'll be some helpful things that, that come out because the Lord is, is definitely teaching us, but, but really just to start a, an open, honest conversation. And I would say a, a personal conversation because Lakeith and I have known each other for several years now. So, so Keith, what Andrew's saying, if you, uh, if you came here looking for all the answers and the solution to the big problems in the world, you're not going to find them all here, but we, we do hope to encourage you and have an open conversation and walk away with some practical, uh, yeah, tools to, to get through it and to, to talk about it really. So, yeah. So Keith, you were sharing with me earlier, your experiences, you're a new father and you were sharing some of your experiences with, um, your wife, Stephanie, as she was going through pregnancy. So it might be a, a good story just to start us off with. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Cause, uh, on this topic of race, I think it's, uh, important to just try our best to provide context. So, uh, getting to watch my wife, Stephanie, go through pregnancy up close and see the different, uh, yeah, emotions and yeah, everything, seeing it up close. It was pretty humbling because I, there was nothing that I could do. She could try her best to communicate her pain and everything that she was going through, but I, uh, I couldn't feel what she was feeling all the way. And, uh, man, I think that's so true when it comes to, to race and to, yeah, some of the stuff that's going on in the nation. Um, I think, we lose a, a level of, of sensitivity when we speak uh, without, I guess, yeah. Like, I think the reason I wanted to be honest today, because I am, yeah, a black man, and I grew up uh, here in America, and uh, my experiences are going to be different than Andrew's experience. So he can't jump in my body and, and feel what I feel and vice versa. So I think uh, we wanted to approach this with a level of sensitivity, but also uh, to acknowledge that I am... Uh, yeah, black man, and I can I can speak on what it feels like hmm. to uh, see some of the things that's going on and how it affects me and my family. So, does that make sense, Andrew? Yeah, it does. And and you shared about the uh, the, the device or the device. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank, bro. The Did device. they have like the? the it would, it would oh yeah, yeah. Simulate. They had the simulator. You know, when it was on YouTube, all of those videos of guys, dads hooking up to the pregnancy machine and going through the contractions, trying to feel what their wife feels, and they're like, hey, we can only generate so much of the pain that they actually go through. Same thing, like I can, we can never completely understand what it feels like. And that's okay, like that's not a bad thing. That uh, that can promote healthy conversation and uh, a level of sensitivity, especially when people are willing to listen. I think that uh, there's power in that. So yeah, good call back, man. I forgot for a second. I was like, what you talking about, bro? <laughs> Did you actually wear one of those? No, I do. I put one of those things on it. Uh, I thought, I thought Shout out to the moms. God made you guys so special. Can't he do it. Yeah, well, as events have been unfolding over the past, um, especially the last few weeks, you know, we've we've talked about, you know, how do we want to address this um, with as into the harvest, and um, you know, we we plan to do a fuller conversation later this month, but we felt like we, we really want to, to to jump on here and um, and begin that conversation earlier. Um, just because I think it's important and we think the timing is, is important to address it now. Um, you know, one last reason I would, I would share about why we're wanting to do this is because, you know, we, we both have an aspiration to be disciples of Jesus and to share the faith and to help others become disciples of Jesus. And to that end, you know, we both pray a threefold prayer and it's that, that the Lord would help us become students of his message, his truth, scriptures but also that he would make us students of people, that we would really understand the audience that we're giving this message to. And then I would say in the, in the last 
18 to 24 months, um, I've also began to pray that he would help me discern the times. Because I think that's a third component of being a disciple, an effective disciple and an effective disciple maker is if you know the message and you know people, but you don't really understand the cultural moment that is happening, or you're just disconnected to it, you're out of frequency with it. Um, that's, that's really the environment and the context that you're going to be sharing the faith in. And, you know, right now we don't want to necessarily, it's not about losing our focus when it comes to the message and the mission of Jesus. It's about that message and that mission being relevant to what's actually happening in our communities and in the world around us. So that's really why we're having this conversation. Again, it's gonna be a personal one. So we're gonna start off just by sharing a little bit of our own personal backgrounds and our own histories. So mm -hmm. you wanna, I'll give you a spoiler. It, they're very different. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Keith, <laughs> the, you wanna kick us off? For sure, for sure. I think before we were talking, uh, we've known each other for a long time. and. Uh, I think if you know us well, like personally, you you know we have a unique testimony that God has given us. But uh, we couldn't have come from different, like more different backgrounds. So uh, I'm originally from Chicago, the inner city. Um, I, what about you, Andrew? Yeah, I I grew up in uh, rural uh, Kentucky in in farm country. Yep, yep. I don't know a thing about farming or yeah animals. I mean, we used to chase squirrels with rocks, but that was as far as we went with animals. And uh, yeah, I, uh, as my family know, we went through a lot growing up, a lot of, uh, yeah, just tribulation and just trials that, you know, uh, some families experience a lot of loss, a lot of, you know, broken homes and moving and stuff. So how about you, Andrew? Was it, you know, was it a little different as far as, you know? Yeah, for sure. We t we've talked about how, you know, Keith was really raised in an intergenerational family where, um, you know, his parents weren't there at an early age. Um, in, in part because of um, him losing his mother at an early age, um, her passing away. And so he had um, grandparents and aunts who really stepped in and stepped up to, to provide him with that home. Um, I grew up in a very stable family with a mother and a father, even though there were definitely rocky times in their marriage. And, you know, we as kids uh, lived through that you know, they did stay together and it was largely a, a stable environment. And we also talked about, you know, our faith upbringing and some of the influences there. I grew up in the Bible Belt Church and the message of Jesus were things that I was exposed to on a regular basis. And, and even with my parents, there was a very sincere desire on their part to, they believed in Jesus and they were trying to, to live in a way that honored him. And they were trying to raise their children uh, to know him. How about you? Yeah, it was, uh, I would say that faith wasn't like a huge thing, at least when we were coming up, because I think we were just trying to get by, like a lot of poverty, a lot of um, just inner city struggles. So faith in church, uh, it was in the background somewhere, but it wasn't something we grew up with. And uh, shout out to Georgia Johnson. She definitely tried to keep us on track and uh, also Sean Johnson for stepping in. But yeah, it wasn't something that we um, practiced as a family or I don't remember like praying or ever trying to read the Bible or being a part of a church together, it was just not something that we uh, did or participated in. So, yeah. And, and then what about interracial, uh, interracial dynamics for you growing up? So I'll share mine after you go. Okay. Yeah. Well, I grew up, there weren't, there were no, there was no colors. No, it was all, it was all black, man. We were <laughs> south side of Chicago, Inglewood. I don't, I can't see who's joining the conversation right now, but I would, but yeah. So um, yeah, it was just diversity wasn't something I experienced until high school. I didn't, I uh, grew up around people who were different. It was just really just us. So, and Andrew actually took a, a trip with me back to Chicago. And I think he can attest to that same thing. It's still pretty segregated, at least in some parts of Chicago. Yeah. Uh, for me, I grew up, it, it was a small town. It was, um, it was very, it was actually very intermixed in the sense that there was uh, majority white, but there was also a large black population in the town that I grew up in. And, you know, it was, it was desegregated, desegregated in the sense that, you know, we played sports, we went to school together. And yet I would say on a, on a cultural level and on a relational level, it was still very, very much separate. So there was a part of town that I know the white people referred to as black town. Um, you know, there was an, another name for it that we didn't use, but that got used quite a bit. Um, so, so, you know, I was, I was definitely 
I had lots of friends um, who who were black, but it was still pretty separate in terms of of my experience culturally growing up. And I would also say growing up in in Kentucky, um, I shared this with Keith a little bit. I think he already knew it, but uh, my my dad is was a historian, and his favorite era of history was the Civil War. Um, so I grew up, you know, hearing about the the Civil War a lot, and growing up with stories about heroes on both sides of that conflict. However, my my great 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 grandfather um, served in you know fought in the Civil War. He fought on the side of the Confederacy. Um, the South. The South. What? Okay. <laughs> right. And now, I mean, we never our family never owned slaves. We were poor white folk. Um, for sure. But, you know, we were talking about this, that, that he, I, I do believe that he would have said that, Hey, this is a system and this is a culture that's worth preserving. You know, even if he couldn't afford slaves, um, I suspect that, um, he was okay with it. Mm -hmm. Um, also his name was Thomas Jefferson. Literally his name was Thomas Jefferson Stroud. That's crazy. Which I think is also sort of like almost poetic because, you know, Thomas Jefferson wrote some of the most stirring words about freedom and equality in uh, the Declaration of Independence, and yet he owned slaves, and and it was kind of it was kind of that kind of a background for me, where I think the right things were being said, and yet at the same time there was this distinction uh, between blacks and whites where I grew up. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's deep, Andrew. I didn't know all of that, man. So that was very informative, bro. I'm like, dang, man, that's pretty crazy. So I I know my grandfather served in World War Two. But I think that was my uncle actually served in the army too. My little brother's in the army now too. So I don't, I don't know. We haven't traced our history back too far, but I'm curious to know like how that all played out on our side. So, what about for you as you moved into adulthood? You went into the military. You left Chicago. Um, I guess what were your experiences there when it came to you know inter- interracial relationships and and just the cultural? Yeah, I think. Uh, for those of you who served in the military are, you know, past, present, future, still serving. I think you know how uh, the military is. And if you don't know, it's a melting pot of people, backgrounds. Yeah, all, all kind of things. So you get a good mix. But uh, my job in the military was a rescue swimmer. So uh, I was like one of one when it came to black rescue swimmers, at least at my command until another guy showed up. So uh, I wouldn't say it was culture shock, but you, you adapt quickly because you, you get used to what it is. Like you work with these guys on a daily basis and uh yeah the job was at times dangerous so you learn to rely on each other so it was um it was different for sure than how i was brought up but yeah yeah and, and for me a lot of my adult life has been within the military community as well as as part of the military community not active duty but very much uh integrated within um folks and um hold on zach's giving us a where we had on time 15 minutes, 15 minutes. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. We're just going to keep it open, Zach, and, and we'll roll with it. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I do think that that was something I appreciated was the integration of the military and, and how that really does bring a lot of different backgrounds, different cultures together. Um, and yet I would also say that during that time, I was um, part of faith communities that were largely middle class and were largely white. Uh, I don't think they intended to be that way, but, um, you know, that was a lot of my experience as well, as far as the, the spiritual side of that. So that's kind of, um, our background, I think, uh, bringing us up to when we met, mm-hmm. which would have been 2013. Yeah. Seven yeah. years ago now. And yeah. I, I think one thing that has always drawn me to Lakeith is his genuine love and his desire to know people. Um, and that even though we were from very different backgrounds, that wasn't something that was an obstacle for him or an obstacle that he didn't, he didn't want to overcome. Um, so I appreciate your friendship, man. Yeah, it's mutual, man. I uh, can't say enough about what you and your family have done for me over the years and the friendship that we have now working together in ministry and uh, yeah, going through life together. So uh, yeah, the, the friendship, the bond is very real and it goes deep, so I'm, I'm grateful. Well, let's get into the controversial stuff. Let's talk let's about um, recent events. And I would say even going back, I know we, we've talked some about Colin Kaepernick. So let's just uh, throw it open. You actually have like personal 
a personal story about um, Colin Kaepernick and um, you know kneeling during the national anthem. So mm -hmm. why don't you share that? Yeah, it's it's crazy. I think uh, I was at a point in college where I was broke, you know, working different jobs. I was working at the Veterans Center uh, part time, but I was also doing security, uh, which was fun. I'm not really a big guy, so uh, it, was, it was intense at time, but it was fun. So uh, one of the things that happened um, was uh, Colin Kaepernick uh, set out to 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 protest during the anthem about um, just racial racial injustice, police brutality. Uh, and etc. And um, I think what was cool is that I was there the second time that he protested. So there was one protest, got a lot of headlines, and people wondered if he were protest again, which he did. Um, but what was crazy is that uh, the first time he protested, and some people, you got to fact check me, you got to look up this yourself too. But I think he sat down. Um, he sat down, and a veteran, I think his name was Nate Bowers. Uh, a Green Beret, actually ex-Army guy, pretty legit, reached out to him and said that, hey, like, uh, I agree with what you're saying about police brutality. Uh, I think it's awesome that you're willing to step out on that platform, but um, a way to stand united with your players and with, uh, yeah, to, to show a symbol of respect to the military, like, I would actually suggest that you kneel. And uh, I was at that game when he kneeled, you know, and I think um, that was pretty powerful. So I think a lot of people have taken that and made that argument more so about the national anthem or about the flag when his protest with all the, the time was about police brutality. And when he was approached by a veteran uh, on this topic, he actually changed his stance and kneeled out of respect for the military, but still protesting uh, police brutality. So I was at that game, guys, uh, working security. There were some very mean things said about him and about, uh, <laughs> yeah. So it was it was just interesting to be there in that moment and to know that, uh, yeah, that's how pe people responded. But I, I think it was because the narrative changed. The narrative went from, hey, I'm protesting, you know, racial inequality and police brutality to uh, uh, you're actually disrespecting America. And that was never, uh, I think, his intention or, or what was going on. It seems to me that that's that's one of the things that makes a conversation like this so challenging is it's it's hard to keep it's hard to keep things on topic. Mm -hmm. And on one hand, I get it because I mean, there's there's a lot of problems in the world and there's a lot of problems that that involve, you know, race and racial dynamics. And, you know, we could spend time talking about um, any number of those but um you know when someone says that that this is an issue and this is a problem and then we come back with almost like well what about this mm -hmm. or hey yeah that's a problem but this is happening and that's not the right way to object or to protest yeah that problem mm -hmm. yeah yeah so yeah i think that's uh at least for me like i said speaking you know as a black man i do think that's it can be challenging you know so uh i didn't know where we were at in the notes as far as the george floyd but uh Jumping. yeah just to bring that up i think um i think uh, at least from my standpoint i couldn't watch the video i didn't watch it i just after hearing about what happened and knowing what happened i just didn't want to watch that and uh yeah just see that happen but i think uh, what i noticed is that we quickly moved on from um this guy's death to so many other things you know and uh yeah I, I think if there was like i can use andrew as a as an example if something happened to andrew and uh he was wrongfully killed at the hands of police and uh i watched that the mourning process for me would be uh, yeah it would be long it would be very intensive mm -hmm. it would be yeah. like i would need time to process that and i don't think we took much time to like really process that i think um People responded, hurt people, hurt people. We all know that it's very true. Uh, and when you don't know what to do, yeah, you're gonna do something. And I think a lot of people did something. And we focused more on that than, you know, uh, this guy just lost his life. Uh, and not, I think uh, I was watching something earlier talking about whether he was a hero and kind of getting to his background and almost character assassination. Right. But the point was um, that guy didn't have to die, you know, like at any right. point somebody with authority could have stepped in and uh, defused that situation. So I agree with what you're saying about the narrative, Andrew. Yeah, and I actually, I hope we can communicate this because I've given this a lot of thought, especially over the last few weeks. And I think there's some parallels here. And so 
one of the big parallels let's let's kind of stick with um the um the killing of george floyd um you know when when you see that video i haven't watched the whole thing i i probably should just as an exercise um but i've definitely seen um extended extended clips of it so um but but when you see that video i know for me as i would say a, as a uh, middle class middle-aged uh, white white man you feel like the emotions i feel are um sadness and a degree of of anger um but it almost feels like it's like if you saw a video of something happening to someone on the other side of the world that was that was distressing That's a and good point. you yeah. would feel bad about it but at the same time, and this isn't a conscious thought, but there's almost like this subconscious thing that's happening, which is like, man, that, that really sucks, but it's not really connected to me. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I can't imagine that happening to me or most of the people I know. And so you feel bad about it, but, but you don't necessarily see the connection. So I think the same thing with Colin Kaepernick, if a lot of people aren't experiencing that injustice, that police brutality, but they are very patriotic and, mm -hmm. and maybe they've even served in the, in the military or they've been a first responder and the flag means a lot to them. And so police brutality, they, they, I'm sure many of those people, most of those people would probably say like, Hey, that's, I think that's a real issue. That's something that mm -hmm. needs to be addressed. But what really gets the response is a totally different issue, which is, um, patriotism and, and honoring the flag. And so when those lines get crossed, um, you know, we're, we're seeing the same event, but we're having a totally different emotional reaction to it because mm -hmm. of the, the level that we are or are not connected. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. And like, uh, you know, this goes on both sides. So like, I don't want to sit here and uh, act like, you know, there's things that uh, I, I understand it fully or, or, you know, people that are not black, you know, like yourself, Andrew, you know, um, that you don't have a side or a say or, you know, that I can't listen to you and learn from you. But uh, I do agree with what you're saying. Um, and yeah, just to let you guys know like how it feels sometimes, like uh, I try my best to be above reproach. Like I don't want to put my family or anybody in jeopardy. So um, yeah, there's things that I avoid, but um, there's things that happens when, you know, police is behind me or I'm getting pulled over that I can't explain, like that I can't, going back to that pregnancy analogy, like I can't make you feel those things, you know? Uh, but you can hear me like you can you can hear what i'm saying about it and uh yeah it's not easy and like man shout out shout out to all the, the police officers the men and women who wear the uniform who you know the ones that are really trying to truly protect and serve like uh i don't want to you know minimize what they do and i mean just, i did security for a little bit and i was stressing so i can imagine being a police officer i just couldn't do it so uh yeah but like uh that that's very real and when it you know I'm not saying I was okay with the looting and the rioting and like people, you know, tearing down things and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it was strange to walk around a store with my mask on a couple of days ago, you know, because people were very jumpy just to be completely honest. Like I'll come around a corner too fast. Like me and Avery were running through the store a little bit and people were a little like, you know, cause, uh, I mean, a black man running through the store in a mask and like, that's something like, I can't make you feel that, you know, but you can, you can understand that that side is real and that there are things that are happening that, that cause a lot of frustration, you know? So, uh, I think at least hearing people out and hearing perspective, and I, I know we need to do a better job, especially me, myself. I don't think I've been, um, as vocal as I need to be, but that's why we're here today. Like having this open conversation. Yeah. That's one thing that Keith, we were talking about this a week or so back, you know, how, how do you feel when, when you get pulled over by the police and, you know, my grandfather was a, a state trooper in Kentucky. And so when i was learning how to drive and getting my license you know my dad would tell me that hey you you're going to get pulled over at some point and just be respectful say sir like even if you were wrong if you were right it doesn't really matter just just be respectful you know he kind of walked the whole thing like stay in the car do what they say and and you'll be okay like mm -hmm. and, and that's always been my experience so whenever i get pulled over like because i think your question was like how do you feel or what, what what's yeah. going through your head <laughs> what happens, yeah. when you get pulled over right and yeah, like what's going through my head is either I know I did something wrong. And, uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm frustrated, 
but that, that's about the extent of it. It doesn't go beyond like, man, I hope this doesn't really go south mm-hmm. um, in some ways. And, and so I think even just talking about very common experiences that people have yep. and the, the different way that that is experienced, yep. especially based on whether you're a, a black person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I One of my uh, biggest fears is walking up behind somebody at an ATM, man. It's like, <laughs> it's so uncomfortable. Like, uh, and not saying that like, you know, uh, yeah, I don't get mad at people. I'm not frustrated because, yes, yeah, like I can't understand where they're coming from. They can't understand where I'm coming from. But yeah, it is kind of strange, like, because uh, people get very, you know, worried. It's just nervous. Like, so I think uh, I appreciate you uh, just um, acknowledging a level of sensitivity about it and just knowing that it's different. So, um, so yeah. But I mean, like I said, I had, I've had good experiences with cops. Like, I've had policemen that, have uh, helped me out and, you know, first responders. So uh, it's not to like cast aspersions on everybody and say they're bad, but I think just going back to, there are issues that need to be talked about and that's okay. Like, I think uh, it's okay to have this dialogue and I've never seen so many people more open to conversating about the things that are going on. So uh, yeah, that's encouraging for sure. Well, I think this is, um, this has been one of the big lessons that I've been, that, that, the, that God has been teaching me, I would say, over these past several weeks. And really it, it kind of started for me with the shooting of Ahmaud Arbery uh, and the video that came out on that. And I mean, it was, uh, it was terrible. It was horrendous. Um, but then there's just this, this succession of, of videos that have come out and, and gone viral of, of real people where what ends up happening is not what, what should have happened. Right. right. Um, and again, just, the honest emotions that I feel when I, when I see those videos is I don't want to watch them. Yeah. You yeah. know, because, uh, I feel, I feel bad about them. Um, they, they seem disconnected to my reality and, um, there's a lot of negativity that ends up happening, whether it's in the comments or, uh, a lot of, uh, negative emotions. And so the, the temptation for, for me as, well, just for me as a white person is I, I don't want to watch those videos. I don't want to engage in those conversations, but I think again, it's because I feel disconnected to that. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't see that that is, is, is going to have direct bearing on, on my own life. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that the first lesson that, that the Lord has been teaching me as a white person is don't look away because that's like, that's the, that's the temptation. That's, mm-hmm. that's what you that's what you want to do is, you know, it's bad. Um, you hate that it's happening, but you don't really want to dwell on it. Hmm. And so thinking about, well, you know, if, if I was a black man and I saw those same videos, um, you know, I would not respond that way. I would have a much more emotional response. Hmm. Um, but it would be much more, I'm guessing it'd be a much more, um, outrage, anger, uh, fear, frustration, you know, and the emotions that I feel is like, well, basically I don't want to feel emotions. So that, that's really the temptation is, is, is to want to, to look away. And so that's, that's me mainly like, that's just a lesson that, um, I think God is teaching me right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think I'm still learning, Andrew. I don't know if I have like something like, man, I know God's been teaching me just one thing. Um, yeah, you never want to see anybody pass away or die on video or get killed on video like i'm just not a fan of that like that's yeah it hurts for yeah it's hurt because you know that person meant something to somebody so to watch them on camera die like it's just not yeah but i i I do respect where you come from like i I understand you have to because uh all of us are so desensitized that we can process information like you know as if it never happened but so i do think it's good to slow down to watch to pay attention and to to observe but then to, to carefully respond. So, um, yeah, I think God's, uh, just teaching me to keep the, keep the conversation open. Like I can be a bridge. I'm in a, I'm out here in San Diego. Uh, I have a lot of friends who are, you know, not the same, uh, color as me. Like we can have these conversations and slowly, but surely like we can, uh, yeah, I guess just do better, you know? And, um, I thank God that we have the gospel that supersedes everything that we're talking about like one day jesus is going to make 
all things new, but until then we have to deal with these things. And especially as a, a faith community, we have to learn how to, uh, to bridge these gaps. And I love what you were saying before we started, Andrew, about how faith, if it has nothing to say on relevant issues, then, uh, you know, that's a, that's a big L on our side. That's a big loss. So, uh, I'm yeah. glad that we do have something to say. So, yeah, there's the, one of the verses that fits with what you're saying is James 1:19, which is another lesson that I think God is is teaching me. I, I would say I'm doing better on this one, but it's it's be quick to hear, hmm. slow to speak. And man, I I see a lot of people who are being very slow to hear <laughs> and very quick to speak. Yeah, bro, it's crazy. <laughs> so, it's crazy. Uh, and I, you know, I I I I I feel like God taught me that lesson about 10 years back. And so in, in this particular moment, I'm just wanting to really double down on that. Like, mm -hmm. Hey, th there's something happening here. And if I don't understand it, the, the solution is to listen. It's not to necessarily right. offer, you know, my take or, or to give what, what about, right. Cause that's where a lot of the quick to speaks that I'm seeing are, well, yes, that's a problem, but what about, yeah, that's true. And I think, yeah, that's just a big lesson for us. I think even more so for those of us who are believers and who are openly um, representing Jesus. And it, it's tough because social media, yeah, you, you don't get a lot of second chances. Like when right. you put something out, when you're quick to speak and you're you're slow to hear, and you put that out over Facebook or or Twitter, um, really hard to bring those words back. And it's even true. if you try to, some of the people that heard the first statement or saw the first post they're not going to hear the second one. So, yeah. Yeah. And like, man, like, especially even on this video, this is a live streaming video. Like there's probably something we said that we misspoke or, you know, we've been trying to be transparent and speak from the heart and, uh, I guess be as, as godly as possible in those moments. But I think, uh, I've seen some, some mean comment sections, man, like where it gets uh, so ugly. So I would suggest just call a person like, or meet up, you know, I know that with COVID going down, it's a little bit harder, but like, uh, video chat there zooms like one of the, the bonuses of social media is that we have ways to outreach i think instagram uh, facebook snapchat all of those have a video service where you can call somebody and talk to them and i'm telling you a conversation uh, even if it's over the phone is way better and way more meaningful than a, con a conversation in a comment section because uh i don't know what happens to our filter in those moments or what but uh yeah it gets pretty ugly so but uh, yeah like i mean i think what you're saying it, when you're looking at someone in the eye it's just a different, you know, so much of communication is nonverbal. Mm -hmm. And so uh, taking advantage of those, those technologies is, is really important. Yep. We're going to take advantage of uh, this, this technology by opening it up to some Q and a, um, you know, if you guys have things that you would want us to, to talk about or to address specific questions or, or dynamics that, that you're seeing happening, then go ahead and type those in. Um, and we will uh, we'll be we'll, we're willing to respond to those. If there aren't any, then um, we'll probably wrap it up here in the next few minutes. Um, yeah, there's a couple of lessons that that I'd like to uh, to pass on, just to, to share that, that that God is teaching me these things. Again, this is not me saying that other people. I'm sure God's teaching other people things that are different than these. Um, this one was this one was heavy for me. It's it's the question of, uh, am I praying? You know, uh, mm. the things that I'm seeing. And again, I would go to, if, if you're taking, if you're having conversations with other people about what's going on in our country around uh, race and justice and injustice, um, but you're not praying about it, then why is that? Especially as a believer, if you're, if you're posting on social media about what's going on, or, or even if you're just sharing and passing on um, other people's posts, but you're not praying uh for the family of george floyd and you're not praying for the the police officers and the, the police department that was involved in that situation if if you're posting about the rioters but you're not praying about the situation and, and praying for the people who are in positions of influence on both sides mm. um man that's 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 a that's a big mistake yeah you know yeah and that, i know there's a big movement hey we've been praying too much we've been we've been trying to pray like no man like yeah get along with god and talk to him you know uh, i think one of the first responses i had after everything down went down was to um to fast and pray like i wanted to take some time to uh to get along with god you know so these shotgun prayers and this 
this quick little stuff like uh I can see why people are very dismissive of that, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about like really seek God, go seek his face and uh, trust that he can inter intervene, that God is bigger than us and he can move and, and change things that we can't. And uh, if you believe that, you really do believe that, then uh, it's our duty to do so. So I love that, man. Yeah. You know, people people get frustrated, certainly in the last few years, you've seen people get frustrated at the, the comment of, hey, thoughts and prayers. And I think it's because... Um, Thoughts and prayers basically is an is a ending point. Mm -hmm. Hey, I hate what's going on. You know, thoughts and prayers. Right, right. Um, and so that's not what we're saying. We're not saying that, hey, pray about it and then don't move on from that to, to other type of activity. But thoughts and prayers should be the starting point that you're actually spending time thinking about what's happening and trying to, to understand it and that you're spending time um, praying mm -hmm. because that is the ultimate source of our hope is that that there's a God who is sovereign and who's aware of what's going on and who's willing to, to get involved. Um, I know we got some questions coming in, coming in, coming but in I'll share one last lesson learned for me. And this one has to, has to do with being self-aware and really monitoring your emotions. And it kind of goes back to seeing videos and seeing things online. So I would simply say that if you see a video, um, of someone losing their life, and, and later you see a video of, uh, riots and protests and the destruction of property. And the second video causes you to feel more frustration and, and anger and fear than the first one, then just process that, you know, what does that really say? Um, if, if, uh, if a bank gets burned down or a target gets burned down, it's not saying that that's, that, that that's not relevant, but it's saying that one of these involves a person's life, a human life. And if I get more worked up over seeing a target destroyed, not to say it's, it's not important, then there's a level of self-awareness that we need to, hmm. to enter into to say, why is that? Like, why? Why would this video bother me more than this video? Mm -hmm. like, I think if we just mm -hmm. like take the time to kind of process Deep through, room. yeah. Um, and I think it's because one of them we relate to, hmm. and uh, one of them we don't. Hmm. So that's another lesson that that God has been working on me um, with. So, tight, yeah. what do we got, brother? Yeah, we got Al Engler. What's up, Al? It's good that you uh, stopped by, man. Appreciate the question. It says, "How do you think an incomplete understanding of the gospel?" connects to people uh and racial injustice as an issue andrew you clicking through while i'm trying to read man trying oh to sorry man <laughs> distracting you <laughs> no it's okay i think um oh, that's a great question i think uh, especially on my end uh i was telling zach and andrew about this before but a teacher that i really respected um had a viewpoint that was just very strong she said that she had us list our our top five things in life of level of importance in order and the number one that she, thing that she listed was her, her culture. And uh, she said above her family, above her husband, above her faith was her culture. And uh, man, I think that's powerful because it could, it could, I think it could take you that far, you know. Um, but at least for me personally, like I haven't found anything better than Jesus. I, I haven't found anything that's, uh, that's given me uh, what, what God's given me through his son. And Jesus says that I've come to have to give them life and give it abundantly. And uh, I believe I've taken them up on an offer and, and it's been true. Like, uh, you know, has it been smooth and perfect all the time? Like, no, absolutely not. But uh, I do live a full life because of Jesus. So I do think that, uh, man, if more people understood that and, and would take Jesus at his word, um, yeah, a lot of problems that we're facing today wouldn't, wouldn't sting as much. I'm not saying they still won't sting, but they won't sting as much because we have him. Yeah. Um, again, the question for those who, I guess you can see it in the comments, but the question is, how do you think an incomplete understanding of the gospel connects to people in racial injustice as, as an issue? Um, one, one thought that came, came to my mind with that question, Al, is that it kind of goes back to what he said earlier, that if, if the message of Jesus doesn't really have relevance to what's going on, um, in our culture, and one of the things that's going on is is racial injustice. 
then it becomes the message becomes irrelevant uh, to that particular need and to that group of people, mm. and um, it, it's just disconnected. And so, so if if the gospel doesn't have something of worth to bring, if it doesn't have answers, then then why would people take the time to to look into it? Why would non-believers take the time, or why would they put up with people? Uh, we talked about this on our last last podcast where Russell Wilson. Um, quarterback of the Seahawks had tweeted out, Jesus, we need you now. That was it. That's all he tweeted. Jesus, we need you now. <laughs> True statement. Um, he got but, wrecked. He got wrecked. Man, the responses of that, because the perception is that, hey, that's not helpful. Like saying, you know, praying to this imaginary person and, and thinking that that's going to actually cause change to happen in these these real struggles that are happening. And, and so... I don't think that's Russell Wilson's fault. I think that Christianity has has largely divorced the gospel from the nitty gritty of everyday life and everyday problems. Mm. And so the gospel is what gets you to heaven. Uh, it, it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily going to make the world a better place, which like Keith was just saying, like, we know that that's not true. Like we have seen in this own life, uh, the difference that Jesus makes in our lives and our personal lives. And we need to learn how to bring the gospel to bear to the, the issues that the community is facing that, that, we're, that we're a part of. And at, at, the, at a basic level, the nation itself is, um, is a community that we're all, that we're all a part of. Uh, Trevor Noah, last thing I'll say on this, Trevor Noah put out a video. And we, we, we shared this for those of you who get our weekly Harvest Highlights email. Tre Trevor Noah talked about the dominoes of injustice. And one of the things I loved about the video, I would encourage everybody to look it up on YouTube, is he talks about how society, what is society at its most basic level? And it's a social contract. It's an agreement that we all have with one another about how we're going to treat one another. And if there's one segment of that, of that society, of that, of that collective that is consistently coming up short and not being treated with that agreed upon level of respect and fairness, then the dominoes begin to fall. And even though you might feel like you're not connected to what's happening, you really are because you're part of this community. So <laughs> we'll ask uh, another question here. Maybe we drop down to um, Seth Brown. Seth asks, uh, how do you see Jesus addressing people's emotions, which are very real to them, instead of strictly addressing the facts of their circumstances? And then he says, uh, we tend to focus on facts instead of emotion at times. Oh, man. So I'm glad you read that question out loud too, Andrew. I was, I was struggling to get it. Seth, what's up, man? Great question. I think um, the story I think of is when Jesus is uh, rolling up on a scene. There's a funeral going on. And um, shout out to Abby. We wrote an article about this. So uh, it's a, it's a go-to, but I think it's really important because, yeah, she had just lost her son. You know, uh, her son was gone. A lot of people around her weeping and uh, sharing this moment with her and uh, instead of Jesus going straight for the problem or straight to her son which he had the power to do he actually went to her and comforted her and uh, I think the question he asked her was a uh, it just says he had, he had compassion on her I think he asked I don't know if he asked why was she weeping but you might have to look that one up for me too but uh but yeah it was just cool that Jesus adjusted he addressed the problem I mean, the person and then the problem, not the problem first, because I know even for me, like a person that um, seems to be real compassionate and loving, you know, so I still do it, still focus on the problem. Like I want to fix the problem. But what Jesus did was he focused on the person first and then went to the problem. So I think, um, yes, yeah, Seth, I think the, big, the best thing we can do is just continually learn from him. Like Jesus did it. He was the model. So, uh, yeah, if, if we if we search and study him closely, we can still see it a couple of stories came to my mind Jesus's interactions with two different women one is in John 4 the woman at the well and we know as the story plays out that Jesus is a step ahead of her in terms of knowing the facts of her situation um, and yet if, if you look at how Jesus interacts with her he he really he really gets to know her and enters into like, like the reality of her everyday life drawing water being out there at noon versus the the time that people would normally be there um, her resistance to even talking to him because of their uh, ethnic um, differences as a as a Jew and as a Samaritan, 
And Jesus basically patiently works through all of that um, to get to the, the point when, when he brings up, hey, go, and even then it's an invitation, go call your husband and come here. Um, it, it's not a, it's not really a condemnation. Um, although he does come right out and tell her like, Hey, you've had, <laughs> you've had five husbands and the guy you're with now is not your husband, but it wasn't, it wasn't something that closed off the conversation, but, um, something to just let her know that, Hey, I'm aware of what's going on. I still want to have this conversation. I still want to answer your question of, of, um, where this water can be found. So that, that was one. And then the second one that came to my mind was the woman, John eight, a few chapters later, the woman caught in adultery. And again, there, I think there's every reason for Jesus. The facts were pretty clear. Mm. Uh, she had been caught in the act of adultery. So the facts weren't really in dispute. But again, if you look at how Jesus chose to respond in that moment, uh, I think you'll agree that there's a lot of compassion and a desire to actually help her, um, overcome that situation and, and then a, 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 a command to her to, to go and sin no more. So it wasn't just, but, but he starts with the understanding before he moves to the solution, uh, is, is a couple of stories that come to my mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. I think we got two more questions. Uh, one from Abigail and then one from Heather, Heather McCoy. So how you want to break up these two, Andrew? Uh, I know we're getting to that point. Why, why don't you, um, Hmm. I know, right? That's good questions. Yeah. Well, I think, why don't you take Abigail's? I think that would be, okay. um, and then I'll take a stab at the other. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Abigail Wilson said, are there tangible ways I can be helping the black community during this time? And uh, I think that's powerful, Abby. I wish I had um, some, some like solid things to give you right away. But I, I do think that, uh, yeah, just having these conversations, if you have, black men and women in your life uh, that you can reach out to and just ask them how they're doing, like how they're processing things. I know that's been really helpful for me. And uh, there are a lot of resources. There are a lot of people that are doing great things in the black community and uh, people have devoted their lives to, to, uh, to serving and seeing, and seeing justice. And uh, yeah, I'll have to text you some helpful resources for that because uh, yeah, they've really given a lot to, to help, you know, black men and women out. So yeah, and I would also say, um, Abigail, we're going well. As you know, we're going to be um, addressing this in more in in more depth uh, here in a few weeks, and so um, so folks will will have a chance to to dig even deeper into some of those tangible takeaways um, that um, that we do want to be able to offer folks. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. the The plan is Patrice Johnson is going to join Patrice. us on the podcast. Um, and so, um, more to come, I would say, um, you know, for, for this particular conversation, like we said at the outset, our, our goal really is to start the conversation. We don't, we don't see this as the, the end of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, we'll have, we'll have more about tangible ways in the, uh, in the coming weeks. And I'd say that really kind of relates to this, this question by Heather, um, any resource recommendations, books, uh, podcasts and articles that have a, a Jesus centered perspective that talk about race in America. Um, yeah, the McCoys have an awesome library at their house right now. I'm actually going through some of the books they have on it. So, uh, but yeah, Heather, I got a, I got a few that I would recommend and, uh, same thing. I can text those out to Ben later and, you know, he can pass them over to you and I, I'm excited to read it together because I, I want to keep learning too. Like, I don't think this is something that I've, you know, I can say that I'm a like subject matter expert on, so I want to, I want to keep learning too. So, yeah. And, and I, I think the only thing I would say on that is, um, I know that it's specifically about a Jesus centered perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not saying you're doing this Heather, but I would you know say just not, don't necessarily limit yourself to a Jesus centered perspective that part of what we do need to learn. And I'm, I'm in the same boat is just, what is the perspective of those who are, hmm. are different than us when it comes to uh, race relationships um, in America? And that's a, there, there's a wealth of, of, of information. You know, like I said, even listening to that video by Trevor Noah, if folks haven't done that, I would encourage them uh, to do so. You can just go to YouTube and search for 
uh, Trevor Noah and the Dominoes of Racial Injustice. I'm, I'm sure you'll find it. It's about 18 minutes, and it's, a, I think, a great starting point point for anyone listening to this, regardless of, of if you're white or, or black. So I think we're going to, we're going to go ahead and, and finish things up, um, for today's live stream. I want to thank everybody that took the time to join us. I know some of you are going to watch this later. Um, thanks for letting us have this conversation with mm -hmm. you guys. Um, we wanted it to be honest. We wanted it to be personal. And we wanted it to be a start. We didn't want right, to right. to communicate that we were going to finish it here or, or have all of the answers. Uh, we are going to continue that conversation here um, in a few weeks with a with guest uh, Patrice Johnson about uh, race, religion, uh, and faith, and, and the way of Jesus in uh, modern America. So I, I hope you guys will be on the lookout for that. Yeah, we are please. actually going to build a lot of that episode around questions. And so we'll take some of these questions that you guys asked. Um, for people that are watching this after the live stream is already finished, you can still leave questions in the comments to this video. Mm -hmm. And we will try and address those in the podcast episode that's gonna be coming out here in a few weeks. Um, you can also email them to us if you want, info at intotheharvest.org. So yeah, definitely keep the conversation going. Um, keep the questions going. We'll have some, some, we'll have a better answer to the question about resources in, uh, in the podcast episode. So be on the lookout for that. So love you guys and appreciate you. Yeah, and so much. We'll talk again soon. Thanks guys. Thanks for being part of our community. If you find this podcast valuable, there are many ways you can support it. You can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you happen to listen to it. You can share it on social media with your friends, or you can support it directly by visiting our website, intotheharvest.org, clicking on the donate link and becoming a monthly giving partner. When you do this, you'll receive a thank you package with some great ITH gear. Thank you for supporting the show and helping our small team make a big difference for Jesus. It's listeners like you that make this ministry possible.